You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. When you have stage 4 cancer, the odds of surviving using conventional medical treatment aren't that great. Our guest today was diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma, which means the cancer has spread through one or more organs outside the lymphatic system. His story is interesting because when he was diagnosed, he started on cannabis oil, but relented to family pressure and did chemotherapy. After several rounds of chemo, he stopped and went back on the oil. And joining us from Florida to tell his story is Dan Zambek. Dan, good of you to do this. Thanks very much. Thank you. Dan, how were you feeling physically prior to your diagnosis? Horrible. I had very severe stomach problems. I had severe night sweats. I had the flu, what I thought was the flu, on Thanksgiving of 2014. Christmas of 2014 and New Year's of 2015, I was, I was sick for a week at a time with really bad, bad flu symptoms and horrible night sweats, waking up in the middle of the night, shivering, freezing, and, and laying in a puddle of your own sweat. You're not the first person to mention that uh, who has had Hodgkin's lymphoma. One of the uh, one main, of symptoms. main symptoms is severe night, yes. night sweats and flu-like symptoms. And I, I thought I had the flu. I thought the night sweat was the flu, was the fever breaking. And so I, but I had extreme fatigue. I knew something was seriously wrong with me because uh, I, um, I had a standing doctor appointment that I had made six months prior. And that is the first time I had been to a doctor in seven years in October of 14. I hadn't seen a doctor in seven years. What did the doctor, what was the diagnosis when he saw you? In October, he saw me, he said I was a picture of health, 61 years old. He goes, keep doing what you're doing. You look perfect. Everything is good, except I had a cough that would not go away. So he said, oh, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll see you in January. And so January 10th, I went to the doctor. He took blood. He called me the next day when he got the results of the blood test, and he was upset. So he he got me upset. He said, you're your alkaline photase is five times as high as it's supposed to be. So there's something seriously wrong with you. He didn't know what it was, but he wanted me to get a CAT scan. Right so I went and got a CAT scan, and uh, then he called me right back after the CAT scan and said, you need a needle biopsy right now to find out if you have uh, to rule out cancer. <laughs> so that was the first time they mentioned the cancer. And that was in January 10th. I got my CAT scan at the end of the month on January, just the CAT scan, not the needle-guided biopsy. And uh, they tried to schedule the needle biopsy right away, and then Obamacare kicked in and just uh, – <laughs> we had to, we switched insurance companies right at the end of January. And my wife 
ask them, ask the doctor, do you take this insurance? And our, our doctor, and he said, oh, yeah, we take that. So she went ahead and switched it. Come to find out they didn't take it. So then we had to switch doctors right in the middle of trying to diagnose this. And it took three weeks to get an appointment to see a doctor to get a referral to go see a, a surgeon to get a needle biopsy. That process took two and a half months. And during that time, I lost 50 pounds. Five zero. Two months. Five zero. I went from 195 to 142. Well, you were just and a skeleton. I was. And at the same time, I had a bacterial infection called H. pylori. And H. pylori um, can cause cancer also. That was one of the side effects of H. pylori. So I had two really bad things going on at once. And the H. pylori was affecting me eating. And food didn't taste like food anymore. It just tastes like something, like a chemical or some. Uh, you can't even describe it. It just didn't taste. Anything that I liked had no real food taste. It tasted so horrible. And I was vomiting so hard. And so I couldn't keep 90% of the food I ate down. It was pretty bad. I just want to go back uh, and ask you one thing. You talked about, is it an alkaline photase? You said, yes. You said yours was, uh, the doctor said yours was five times what it should be. What Can you explain what that is? Not really, other than it's a, a blood marker that they have, and it's totally – it was part of the um, H. pylori was causing it, but it was also somewhat from the uh, Hodgkins. Oh, I see. They never did. Yeah. So you had two things was, You had two things going against you. You had H. pylori and this threat of cancer. Which you didn't, yeah. you didn't quite have the diagnosis yet, and you were losing weight. You were still experiencing the night sweats. You weren't eating. What was going through your mind during all this period? I was losing it. I was losing my mind. I was, uh, I was trying to still work doing landscaping, and I was, I was doing landscape construction at sixty-one years old out in the Arizona sun, and. The three months, pri- four months prior to January, I spent four months spraying <laughs> Roundup, killing, uh, doing the weeding for all the lawns. So I, I must have sprayed uh, 20, 30 pounds of Roundup all over the place mm-hmm. during that time. And then I got sick right after that. So I don't know if that's a... <laughs> one of the contributing factors to the cancer but you know dan uh, i have a a family individual who uh, had the same type of cancer as you and um, that was one of the things that you two have in common is he had done done that that was part of his job description back in the day the roundup yeah yes yeah it's uh it's big but you know so then they they diagnosed uh well then i'm going through that two-month period just completely freaking out waiting for this test because I kept thinking to myself no I'm positive there's no way I have cancer no nope it's just probably something else just you know something else something Mm -hmm. else and the agony that you go through not knowing and Mm -hmm. and continually waiting and being told oh uh, well we sent that on Uh, we're, we're just waiting for the approval from the insurance company or we're waiting for the approval from the doctor or it's 
supposedly on this other lady's desk, and as soon as she gets back, we'll send it over. They did that for two months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never it's seen. A, it's, a, it's a familiar story. Point. Yeah, and so finally, they still messed it up. They were supposed to have my needle biopsy scheduled, and I went down to the hospital, and they said, oh, sorry, uh, you have to see a hematologist first. The doctor who would do the um, needle biopsy, the surgeon, wants a hematologist to look at you first before he'll schedule it. And it's like, what? So I had it. I lost it. I went all over the hospital looking for the administrator, couldn't find one. So I stood in the lobby of the hospital weighing 142 pounds, looked like walking dead, and I just screamed at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I used the F word. I said, what the F do I have to do to, to get treated here? You people are going to kill me. And phew, <laughs> security guards, uh, the, the girl at the front desk came flying over and she said, let me type up a letter of complaint for you. And she said, you'll get a phone call first thing in the morning because this is the worst thing you could possibly do is complain about your health care in a hospital. They just hate that beyond everything. <laughs> so I went ahead and dictated it to her, and she started crying. Wow. <laughs> wow. Somebody so, who had some empathy yeah. for your situation. Oh, yeah. So I got the phone call. Before the hospital even opened the next day, Mr. Zambeck, can you come and see the hematologist today? Sure. <laughs> so I go see the hematologist oncologist. She says, uh, looking at my chart, and you could tell she was a, she was just beside herself. She didn't, you know, she was not a happy person, and she didn't want to see me because she knew that I bullied my way into that appointment. Yeah, so she was pissed at you. Oh, totally. pissed and and, probably feeling a little uncomfortable too yeah so she's looking at my chart and she's without with one cat scan that's all they did back in january she says well by everything i'm seeing here you probably have cancer who does that Uh, evidently she did and she had no empathy whatsoever (laughs) yeah you you probably have cancer yeah we'll get that needle biopsy uh, set up and uh, we'll get moving on that so then he proceeded to do every test in the world on me I, I went through a pet scan a cat scan full body scan of bone marrow scan and a bone marrow biopsy which when she was doing the bone marrow biopsy she just gave me lidocaine in my cheek my butt cheek and then just started digging into my hip with a big, huge needle to get a, a bone marrow sample. And you're supposed to do it maybe once or twice. She did it five times, stabbed me with this humongous needle, apologizing every time. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She said, your bones are like sponge. I've never seen anything like it. I said, well, that doesn't sound good. She goes, no, it's not. Not at all. Why were they spongy, Dan? Because the cancer had spread into my bone marrow and my spleen and my every lymph node of my body. Oh, boy. Because they waited. What happened next, then? Next, they brought me in for the, you know, all the results of all the tests. And my two sisters were there and my wife. And she starts out, she says, well, you have stage 4B Hodgkin's lymphoma that's metastasized. 
and uh, she said, uh, that's the bad news. She says, the good news is Hodgkin's lymphoma is the most treatable cancer there is. We have the best protocol for chemo, and it responds the best of any other cancer that's out there. So it's if you had to pick a cancer, that would be the one you'd pick. And those were her words. <laughs> okay. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, yay. Let's pick, let's pick so a cancer. I, I thought that was crazy of her to say that. My mind is going in a complete other direction. Corey, do you remember the first time they told you you had cancer? That gut punch that yeah. totally yeah, I sure took do. you from the from the human race. Now you're something different. Yes. You're cancer patient. Aren't, aren't we? We were different. Yeah. So then the doctor, I asked her, well, what about my diet? Should I change my diet to help this along? She goes, look at you. Eat whatever you can eat. I said, what about sugar? It doesn't matter. Anything you can keep down. I said, so I go eat ice cream and cake and you're not going to have a problem with that? No, not at all. Just, you know, within reason. At this point, eat anything that you can keep down. I'm going, okay. I said, I'm in full cacacia aren't I? And she said, yeah, I wouldn't say that, but you're pretty close. And she said, uh, she says, okay, so we'll get you scheduled for your report and we'll start the chemo right away. I said, whoa, 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 back up. Can I have a minute to breathe? I'm still, I can't even breathe yet. I said, I need, I need time. She goes, well, you don't have a lot. So you have some, I says, do I have a week? She goes, yeah, you can take a week. So I went home and started going on the internet, looking up everything for my disease. She told me that I had an 80% survival rate after five years for my cancer. I double-checked it on the American Cancer Society. She was completely wrong. That's if I'm 50 years old or younger, and that's if I'm only a stage one. That's an 80% chance. 61 years old is what how old I was, and stage four is 40%. So I decided to try something else. I'm sitting on the couch about three days later, just all completely full of myself and just down, down, down. Because, you know, I I thought I had lived a healthy life up to then, pretty much. And to get cancer, I had watched my mother die of cancer. She had lung cancer back in when she was 45. And they took out a third of her lung. Then they radiated her. And then they chemoed her. And she died six months later. Horrible. And I was there for the whole thing. So, Dan, when did you make the decision to try cannabis oil in your research? As I was sitting on the couch that day, my wife walked by and said, hey, uh, Tony, her brother, um, Tony sent you a link for you know something to help treat your cancer. And I went, oh, okay. So I looked at it, looked at the email, and it said, THC Cures Cancer. It was Rick Simpson's Phoenix Tears website. And so I went and watched uh, Run From the Cure and watched it again (laughs) and watched it again (laughs) and then woke up. I mean, I was still sitting on the couch with the computer on my lap and woke up in the morning and, and, hey, that's my cure. It hit me intuitively. That's it. This is going to work. I saw stage four sent home to die and was cured. I said, okay, that's me. Let's go. Let's do this. And I announced it to my family. I'm going to do, I'm going to do the Rick Simpson protocol. And, 
And we're in Arizona. I went and got my card right away. I was able to put together the Indica, and I went in my backyard and made it completely against everybody in my family. They even kept me from making it for a week by having my son, who's he's 30 years old, and he's a fireman. They had him watch me so I couldn't go out on the patio and make the oil. They refused to let me make the oil. They thought I was going to kill myself, blow myself up, whatever, burn. So the second they left me alone, I was out there making it, and I made it. I took it. I told them, okay, I made it, and and I'm taking the full dose, the full milliliter from the get-go, and you guys need to just stay out of my way because I'm going to sleep, and I need you to leave me alone. And they... They were freaking out. They just couldn't believe that I was going to do that. When my sister, my oldest sister, worked in a hospital, she said, they gave you the 80% chance, Danny. This is the best they have. Why would you turn that down? And I said, because we watched what chemo did to mom. There's no chance they're doing that to me. It's not happening. And so they they just kind of let me go. Well, taking a full milliliter right off the bat, Needless to say, I slept 20 hours a day, and yes, I was high. Big deal. Everybody's so afraid of the high. It, it kills me, as seen on the on the Internet. They're just, oh, you know, I'll do that, but I don't want the high. You get used to it. <laughs> so after 12 days, I got used to it. But my family, then my oldest sister, Sandy, just put the pressure on like you wouldn't believe and she basically shamed me into taking chemo with that older sister type mentality where she said, what are you afraid of chemo? And what kind of a legacy are you going to leave to your four children? Their father decided to do weed instead of doing chemo and he died. What's your legacy going for your kids going to be? What kind of an idiot are you going to look like? And I went, oh, okay. I'll do the chemo, but I'll do it until I feel it killing me, and then I'm going to quit. So I plan to quit anyway. So I did it uh, for seven infusions. I went deaf in my left ear after the second one. I had level 10 pain, joint pain from the Neupogen shots to bring my white blood cell count up. And it was insane. The side effects were just nuts. And then I was reading all the the known side effects for each individual chemo drug they were giving me. And the first one, the, the A, red death, the side effect for that chemo, deroxyrubicin, probably not saying it right, but uh, the side effect of that is leukemia. Mm-hmm. So from Hodgkin's to leukemia, mm-hmm. it, it's – it's a known side effect. I'm going, what lunatic thought that this was a good idea? So as I kept doing more research, I kept finding out more and more and more that it was all bad. I had nobody but Rick Simpson, and I never even got to talk to him ever because back in 15, he wasn't answering anybody anymore. And I had no – I couldn't find anything else on the internet that anybody had used it. And then my sister hit me with, find me one Hodgkin's lymphoma person, you know, cancer patient that's cured themselves with Rick Simpson oil or cannabis oil, and maybe I'll believe it. But I'm not believing run from the cure. Those people look like idiots on there who, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. I goes, really? <laughs> okay. 
So I did I did the oil for 20 days. Then I decided to do the chemo and then did the chemo for seven rounds and quit. And when I told my doctor I quit, my hematologist, she came in and she said, you will die. You will die. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> uh, Thanks for the encouragement, said, right? Yeah. You, you have no immune system anymore. We've completely wiped that out. She said, you may not die of the cancer, but something's going to kill you now because you've got to continue with the chemo. And I said, no, I, I'm done. I will not put another – you're not putting any more in me at all. In fact, I want a PET scan right now to see where I'm at. Oh, they'll never pay for that. They won't agree to it until you finish the remaining five chemo infusions that you have to take. I said, no, ask them. She goes, well, the insurance company's not going to agree to it. Ask them anyway. So she asked, and they agreed. And I got my PET scan three days later, and the results of the PET scan were 99% remission. After 20 days, 20 milliliters of the oil and seven infusions out of 12, I was 99% cured. Now, when the doctor saw that information, did she attribute it to the chemotherapy? Oh, no. The doctor had her nurse call me and tell me that I still had cancer and that I needed to come back in and finish my five infusions and that the uh, cancer had gone down, but it was still there. That, those were her words. And then I asked her to read it to me because by then I had done – I had been researching the whole time. I knew as much as I think my doctor knew about Hodgkin's because I read everything there was to read about it. So she started reading off all the uh, the medical terms, terminology, which most people don't even understand. Well, I understood it because I had looked up everything that I didn't understand. And she was reading, and, and it, every time she would say an area of my body, it would say, no uptake. Lymph nodes, no uptake, and then my spleen, no uptake, my bone marrow, no uptake. <laughs> and their only problem was the original site where my lymph nodes were enlarged to begin with in Jan back in January, uh, they were still slightly enlarged but had no uptake. So I said to the nurse, I said, I'm sorry, but that sounds to me like I don't have cancer. She goes, oh, no, 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 you still, doctor says you still have it. And I went, okay, well, I'll get back with you. And then I went and made an appointment with a uh, naturopath and had him take a look at my results. And I said, tell me what this says. And he read it and he went, he says, you're, you're cured. And uh, he said, just keep doing what you're doing. Continue with the oil because I started back on the oil to finish the 40 milliliters to finish the complete 60 milliliter protocol. He said, no, you're doing great. There's nothing I can add to your cure. You're pretty much cured. You just got to keep it away now. What did, I, what did uh, your other family members say about this? Oh, they were happy. They were very happy. They couldn't believe it, and uh, they were just ecstatic that I was cured. They were so worried I was dying because it sure looked like it. What did your sister say? Your older sister. Uh, she's now on the oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> That's a great story. That's a great story. Now, do you you took the full protocol, the 
60 grams in 90 days, correct? Well, I was kind of split up with chemo thrown in the middle. Yeah. Which I would I would never recommend that to anybody listening. Chemo is just poison. I would never, ever recommend the exact protocol that I did. People say, well, the chemo killed the cancer. No, it did not. I went and saw another oncologist here in Florida yesterday and asked him point blank, with stage four metastasized to my bone marrow and my spleen, would seven infusions have ever cured my cancer? And he goes, never. No. Not a chance. How do you feel currently? Oh, terrific. I haven't been this healthy and I can't even remember when. I live right next to the ocean. Every day I go to the beach. I either go paddleboarding or swim in the ocean or paddleboard in the Indian River or go to the pool. I have the greatest life ever right now. My health is perfect. I'm at a great weight and uh, I feel terrific. Another thing to uh, bring up about the oil is when I, when I finished with the, the other 40 milliliters and got to the full 60 milliliter protocol, I went on the maintenance dose. So I took one thirtieth of that, like a grain of rice, and I still take that today. I'm never satisfied. I always want to try things out and test things. I wanted to test whether I needed to take a maintenance dose for the rest of my life. I just, that didn't sit well with me. I've always smoked marijuana since I was 16. Let's put that out there, too, because this is part of the story. So recreationally, I would smoke on a weekend or so, and I I wasn't a pothead. I moved to Arizona from Detroit and started a construction company and built it to a $12 million a year company with 110 employees. And I was at a, a high level, and I was a millionaire by then, so um Things were great, and marijuana affected that not at all. So that was my choice. Instead of drinking, I would have a a doobie on the weekend, and that was good. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because when they did the chemo, they had to test my lungs and my heart function because they knew that the first drug in the AVDB protocol kills your heart and kills your lungs. Okay, damage is a very very quickly so they did the baseline and when they did the baseline for my lung test the attendant that was working yelled out right in the middle of me exhaling and he screamed out holy crap (laughs) and i'm inside that glass booth all connected okay well i'm freaking out when he does that i I go what i'm going what what he says oh no no no! it's a good oh my god (laughs) He said, you just blew the highest lung function I have ever recorded, and I've been doing this for 15 years. He said, were you like an elite athlete when you were younger? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, that's very funny because I also grew up in River Rouge, Michigan, which is the Guinness Book of Records filthiest. It's called the Polluted Triangle. It has factory after factory after uh, incinerator and the Edison coal plant were surrounded by industry and we were pounded by pollution the whole time I was growing up. And almost everybody in my city has developed either asthma or cancer. And they're all overweight and they're all sick. And 
yeah, it's a bad place to, to have grown, grown up. But my lungs were protected from smoking marijuana, in my mind, because there's nothing else that I did. And even the, the guy that was doing the test said, yeah, he said, marijuana smoke will protect your lungs. We're, they're starting to find that out more and more and more. And he said, you're an absolute poster boy for that growing up in, you know, breathing pollution for 20 years and then moving to the Arizona. And yeah, you'd think it'd be cleaner, but I dug ditches for a living with a big, huge trencher in a dust. I'd create my own dust storm, sucking in desert dust. And that didn't hurt my lungs either. So do you think you're sold on cannabis? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I want to be, I want to tell everybody, I have never stopped talking about it since it's cured me. I just won't shut up. And I'm, I could be a little overbearing about it, but hey, I, I looked in the mirror and I could see that I was going to die, and it, it saved my life. Dan, did uh, you change your diet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I Doing the research, I, everything that made sense, I would do. So I had a champion juicer. I started juicing carrots. I didn't do that as much as everybody else was saying, you know, to do five pounds of carrots a day. Now, I did moderation, and I also had a Nutribullet RX. I made smoothies out of organic fruits and kale and beets and uh, ginger and uh, all kinds of good stuff. That's what I ate. And salads. I made huge salads with all organic food. So, yeah, I changed my diet quite a bit. And I took a few supplements, but not a whole lot. I've, I was relying on the, the oil. I thought, you know what, with the diet and the oil, I don't think I need much of anything else. And I exercised. I walked when I had no energy at all. I was so exhausted. I, I'd get out of a chair and I'd be, that's it. I'm toast. I couldn't do anything. In 110 degrees, I went out and walked with water and headphones on and walked as far as I could, turned around and came back. That was a block the first time couple days later, got about two or three blocks, and then it kept going farther and farther. I got to the point, in about three weeks, I walked 10 miles. Wow, that's amazing. Dan, how different a person are you today, uh, emotionally, spiritually? We know you're different physically than you were prior to your diagnosis. Perfect question. Emotionally. My cancer, I, I am... Today, I'm the happiest person that you'll ever meet. I am the most pleasant person. I don't get upset about anything. Every day is a gift. So, yeah, I've completely changed. Um, I just try to see the good and the fun in everything in life now, and I'm just totally blessed. I was praying like crazy, and I had everybody across the United States praying for me, and uh, it, it worked. I truly believe that God led me to all the right things to do because I kept asking, please show me, please show me, please show me. And I I read a book called uh, Radical Remissions that my daughter sent me from California. And that was a great read for to just hear so many stories of survival without chemo. And I needed to hear that. But there were no stories in that book about cannabis oil. I, I wanted to. 
I still want to talk to her. <laughs> she needs to know. Well, I mean, you're but, one of the, uh, you and Corey are rare individuals who have looked death in the face, and you've uh, you've recovered and you've beaten it. And yes. some people yes. don't like the term uh, "beaten." I've beaten cancer uh, because they mm-hmm. think it's too negative. But I, well, I, I like it. I'm a, we're cancer conquerors. We didn't just survive; we conquered it. Dan, anything you'd like to say in conclusion? Uh, tell everybody cancer is not a death sentence. Do your homework, do your research, eat healthy, and find some cannabis oil. It's going to save your life. Wonderful story, Dan. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I thank you for what you do. It's amazing. Thank you so much, Dan. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you have a story about the medical use of cannabis, and you'd like to be interviewed on Cannabis Health Radio, then send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together. 